Good evening and welcome to an emergency pink and show, our dedicated canary shenanigans called at short notice to get everyone in a tiz. Uh, I'm Michael Bailey, I've just about made it on time and uh, we are here live at the Woolpack Public House in the centre of Norwich and over the next 30 minutes or so we will discuss City's point at West Brom, the task ahead for them on Friday night, what happened on this week in Norwich City history and the youth of today plus there's also the rest of the championship uh, picture and uh, all the usual fun and games of course what's going on at Leeds and uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel uh, Wagner, David Wagner's resignation or whichever departure at Huddersfield Town loads of stuff uh, we will do it all in the company of tonight's superb guests they are a former city double act of ex-city Birmingham Derby and Stoke sports science conditioning and fitness guru he didn't tell me to write it Dave Carolan and former City Youth and, Re and Reserve team boss Kingsley manager and Chief of England's Cerebral Palsy squad Keith Webb great to have you both on gentlemen uh, debuts in our fine pub set up uh, how are you both doing you well uh, yeah I'm, I've, I've had better weeks in my life but yeah it's um, it's getting some time at home with the family at the moment exactly and we'll definitely get to talk to you about that Dave how are you doing Keith You're very right? well thank you it's uh, nice to be asked to come on the show it's been a long time uh, since I've uh, left the football club but I've kept an eye on them so uh, I appreciate the invitation you can thank Dave for the invitation as well so that's all good uh, right um, once again, as I said, we are live on Pinken.com, the Pinken Facebook page, Twitter, Periscope, and YouTube. It's a lot of places to keep track of. Uh, over the course of the show, we want to hear from you on all those channels, be it Jordan's bid for a start, Tim's double M recall, Marshall's imminent Millwall move, although it has actually been confirmed since I wrote that, uh, Norwich's youth exploits, your questions and comments for Dave and Keith, and especially in light of Leeds spying on Derby and, as officially confirmed, everyone else uh, we want to know when you've been caught in a compromising position uh, or compromising football position let's try and keep it a football uh, also try and keep them clean although we are on the internet so the standards are relatively low uh, you can get all of those through us uh, to us here down the pub simply post your words below the uh, live feeds on either the pink and facebook page youtube chat box or a reply on the pink and uh, twitter and periscope streams i'll do my best to keep track of them all uh, now, we've also got no assets today, so you're going to be stuck with our glorious mugs throughout the course of the show. Uh, let's get going then. Uh, we have, of course, got uh, Wesley Moulahan and Onel Hernandez back with us to help us deliver, go on Dave, this week's Norwich City headlines. A point in the baggies. Jordan Rhodes strikes late to earn Norwich an excellent draw at West Brom, especially given we were all wincing after the first 20 minutes. Marshland for Millwall. Ben Marshall will spend the rest of the season at the Lions after a difficult spell so far with Norwich. Make sure you beat all the top six, Ben. Oh, Keith wants to get in on the act, I like it. From Sadlers to a Don, Russell Martin departs Walsall and swiftly rocks up at League Two MK Dons. And finally for these, beautifully done, Keith, leads us astray. I thought that was good. Uh, Bielsa gets caught instigating spying on Derby County, calls an emergency press conference this evening and then admits he did it to everyone. What could possibly go wrong? One more, gents. There we go. Fantastic. Uh, I think uh, we have to talk about Leeds in the first instance because it's literally broken in terms of the uh, size of all this tonight and you guys have both worked in football, so spill everything. Um, have you known anything like this or are we blowing it up into all sorts of weird proportions? 
Yeah, we've we've seen I've seen spying this year. Yeah, I've seen not leads. <laughs> well, you don't know who it is, but at the training ground at Soak, we've seen people stood on on gates and on gate posts watching training. They're on public land. They may be just fans. There might be somebody else, but they just want to have a look at training and. You try and uh, ward them off as much as you can, but if they're, on, if they're on public land and they just want to watch training, there's not much we can do about it. You know, they could be there for ill, but they could be just interested parties wanting to watch watch their favourite players train. Well, I think it's something that's been thrown out of all proportion. I, I had an experience of it when uh, I was involved with the Paralympics out in Rio, and. Um, there was a situation where we were training um, two days before we were meant to play one of the favourites and um, there was a um, person look, who was looking suspicious uh, with a notepad but he was outside the uh, fence if you like to where we were training and I suppose at the time you felt a little bit aggrieved that someone um, would go to that level and I'm not sure as a coach whether I was more aggrieved at whether um, someone was doing it to me and my team or whether I had the gumption to do it to other teams. Um, so for me, when you look at what Bielsa's done, um, obviously the culture that he comes from, from South America, it's a done deal. Uh, it's understood that it goes on. Um, and I suppose with, in this country where there are um, rules of fair play and our understanding of what is right and what is wrong um, has obviously been affronted to. And I think that's probably more of that than the actual that he's actually broke the law in any shape. I mean, that, that feels like my point. If you've got Leeds and Bielsa doing it, and it is the two, I don't see how you separate them, but, them, them entirely. If you've got them doing it and, and you know, no one else really doing it, then that seems to be much more of an advantage, say, watching the last training session so you know who's fit and what your specific shapes are going to be. But if everyone's doing it, then clearly... It's, it's just something that maybe they've been rumbled first and it's not such a competitive advantage, I would say. Well, I, I think in the past people have gained advantages in other ways. You know, they, they may not turn up to your training ground and watch your last training session, but players know players, staff know staff, staff know players. Um, they'll ask questions, they'll send texts, they'll try and find out ways of, um, the, you know, finding out what the team is, who's in the team. Um, with all the media that clubs produce now, whether it's on a Thursday or a Friday, a club will produce a video montage for their, their YouTube and clubs study that. They, they want to see who's in the, in the photos, who's in the pictures. So if you're trying to hide a player, you've got to make sure your media aren't there. You know? So I think you know, whether you're trying to spy directly or indirectly, um, there's, there's always been ways that people have tried to find out information. It's just that Bielsa has gone to a new level of that and decided it's going to send people around to every single training ground in the country. I mean, that, that is committing to it, isn't it, really? That's not, yeah. that's not sporadic. And today, I mean, the fact that he's given a press conference to basically confess all, effectively, ahead of the EFL's investigation. I guess he's trying to say, look, this is it, and I'm being honest about it, so, you know, treat me in, in the right way. When you look at um, 
the impact that Bielsa is having on the Premier League, when you look at some of the coaches that are involved, um, utilise Bielsa's philosophy. Um, part of my role at the Football Association where I am now is coach education, and I've been fortunate enough to read Bielsa's books. Everything that he writes is how his teams play. So there's no disguising, he, he's quite open about this is how I play, this is my philosophy, and this is what we're going to do. And Leeds United do exactly what that book says. So people shouldn't be um, surprised at how Leeds play. Now, people might say, well, Frank Lampard or other coaches don't have books and they're not that open. But at the end of the day, Leeds play in a really positive manner, in my opinion, and teams have the opportunity to combat what he does on the football pitch. Now, I don't believe, having watched Leeds, that teams necessarily, um, or he puts and makes his philosophy based on what other teams are doing. I think he's got a philosophy of playing and he bases that and it's up to the teams that they're playing against to beat them. And I think he's quite open about it, his books share that philosophy and at the end of the day it's up to coaches to utilise every means like Dave has um, alluded to in analysis and things like that and beat them. I mean it's fair to say that I think maybe fans and the media are probably getting a little bit more uppity about it than most people in, in the game. So in terms of what this is resolved as, I mean, is it, would they be okay just to carry on? Or do you think they need to, Leeds do need to do something differently in terms of their behaviour? Do the EFL need to do something to stop it? Or is it just the way it is almost? Well, I think this is one example of how Leeds have tried to gain the advantage this season. We, we, had, uh, we played Leeds first game of the season, so they didn't have an awful lot of video footage to go on us. So whether we were getting spied on, you know, he says, he's, he's looked at every single team. Well, in our first game against them, we saw from the bench, when we made the fourth official aware, that they had coaches in the stands who weren't getting information onto the pitch. So they weren't in the technical area, they were situated around the stadium. So they're effectively coaching 360. Now we pointed that out at the time and it kind of was perhaps seen as you know, making a map out of a molehill. But when you add it to something like this, what other things potentially have gone on over the course of the season that maybe gained leads and advantage in a game? Um, we certainly noticed that. We flagged that at the time. Um, obviously, Derby have now caught somebody almost red-handed in the bushes at, at Moore Farm, their training ground. Um, but looking towards, towards the future, if this means that there's going to be a, a rule brought in you know at least then there's something to be broken at the moment no rules have been broken I mean, because you, you're almost talking about marginal gains there aren't you and, and then the, the, the accumulation of those have a profound effect like you know sticking you five points clear at the top of the championship but um i mean so say in terms of having an analysts around or coaches effectively around a stadium that is against the rules or is it just an innovation that leads have gone we need to do that and have just got there first no that's against the rules yeah. don't the only coaching that should happen is from the technical area now we, we saw coaches 
go down the sideline um, with the subs or they were actually sat in the stands and they were coaching onto the pitch. Now you could say, well, has that got any kind of effect or is that just, you know, us noticing things that, you know, were very, very limited value to a team. In the end, we end up losing the game. Like most teams have ended up losing a game to, to Leeds this season. And you think they found, yes, 1% more. They found some way of influencing the game in some way to end up getting them to win games. Now you could say in the past other teams have gained advantage in other ways. You know, Fergie time wasn't a, an official thing at one stage in the Premier League, you know, where he almost was able to influence the officials to potentially get more time to potentially win games later in, 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 in later in the game. Um, you know, and Norwich are famous for scoring late goals this season you know so are they getting some kind of unfair advantage you know who's to know Norwich's last 15 minutes goals is so different to everybody else's that at some stage you might say is it tactics or is something else going on because it's such a skew of late goals and late goals in their games it's fair point and I mean obviously Keith you work at the FA so I don't know how involved they would be in, in terms of resolving the, the issue but I mean it's probably a difficult question to ask you, to be honest, but what do you reckon? I'm just giving a personal opinion. Um, like David said, you know, no rules have been broken in the sense that someone has just stood out on private or open ground and observed training sessions. Um, I would be more annoyed at the fact of the point Dave made around people coaching around the pitch because that is a flagrant abuse of the rules. And that's when the opportunity comes for the uh, leagues and referees and that to clamp down on that sort of thing, just to make the point that you can't do that rather than the other um, side of going around and um, watching and observing other people training because you just, you won't be able to stop it. I think we've done that topic now, haven't we? I don't think there's much more we can say about that. Clearly, it's going to rumble on, rumble on and rumble on indeed. i tell you what, let's have a little break, shall we? Um, it was a difficult start on Saturday, but an excellent point for Norwich City at West Brom. Here is how it all unfolded. Keep it tied at the top, but obviously a win for Norwich would be a fantastic result if that happens. And I think that's where more we're on West Brom than Norwich today, yeah. I think. You know, the first 20 minutes will be vital for them. Yeah. They need to get the crowd behind them, and if they don't, I think they might start to get a bit, bit agitated. Yeah, I think this game actually defines the position of Norwich for the rest of the season. So, between this, this game and Leeds, I think it's really important. There's goals that we scored, but um, whether or not we'll do enough to win it, or whether or not they'll do enough to win it, I have my doubts. So I think I think a draw. They're all big games now. The teams yeah. at the bottom need points, uh, and obviously the teams at the top. And it's about who holds their nerve.
McLean's uh, free kick was cut out. Second cross, first time effort is a beauty and a really clever, intelligent finish from Jordan Rhodes. I think that, I think the second ball is key because I think the amount of times that we lose the second ball or don't even challenge. So I think that, that midfield needs freshen up. I think Teddy's looking a little bit tired. I think it's common with him that he needs to rest a bit, a few games out of the team, bring Tribal in. I think and give us that bit of fresh legs. I think point gain. I think rather than two points lost. Paul well in the second half. First half was disappointing really, but uh, Crawl made some good saves second half. Um, Something a little bit missing, I think. Maybe first time we West Brom wanted a bit more, but good point going to. At this stage, it's, it's all about performances, and we need to keep trying to pick up those points. This is a big point, big point. Like everyone, I think before the game, we've taken a point before before the game. So yeah, I, I think um, I think I think if we keep playing like this, we'll be there with our backs in the season. the key today is is not to lose. You don't lose this game. You don't want to give your opponents, especially your promotion rivals, three points. Keep them to one if you have to. We invested so uh, so much in the in, uh, in the second half and and uh, were able to create a lot, but it was also uh, tricky because um, yeah because of the quality of the offensive players of West Brom, you always have to be awake for counters and you have to control all the counters and that a few scenes in terms of counter attacks as well. So in the end, I would say um, I think probably a fair result and a good point for both teams. Keep your, keep your uh, comments and questions for the guys coming in. We'll get through some of those in, in, in a moment. They are there flooding in across all channels. Um, uh, Darren Huckabee, by the way, has been in touch. Could be a classic. And then he's put Sleepy Zeds. A bit harsh from Hux. Well, like Hux would normally do, we're doing all the work and he's just waiting for the glory at the end. There you go. Uh, right. Um, so you can catch more of uh, all of that video content, of course, over uh, uh, on uh, pinken.com throughout every Norwich City match day and all our social media channels, too. Um, from the outside, gents, because I appreciate, Dave, you've been busy, obviously, at Stoke for a lot of the season and I'm sure uh, with the FA Keith. But how have you viewed what Norwich City have done this year from the outside or this season? I think they've done extremely well. Um, obviously, at the start of the season, it was um, a little bit rough in terms of um, results and performances but um, they've seemed to kicked on um, and it's funnily enough the only game that I have seen this season is the Leeds game um, and I felt even in that game that for about the first 15 minutes the performance was absolutely superb uh, and had they scored in that first 15 minutes I think the outcome of the game would have been a lot different. Um, Obviously, I've viewed them on TV and watched the games when they've been available uh, on the television. And there's no question that there's a belief about the team now um, and a resilience that has got to credit Daniel Fark in uh, his coaching and his um, demands that he puts on the players. The big question we're all asking, really, Dave, is why the stark change from last season, I suppose? Well, I think... They probably spent most of last season honing the, the kind of art, you know, the possession-based game that they had last season, which people were quite vocal in the fact that they found it quite boring because they had so much possession but couldn't break teams down. But that's actually stood them in good stead. They're the team that's got um, a lot of continuity about it. They've added well in terms of the players they've brought in and have, have added to that. Some of the players who've come through from the academy have really added some energy that they didn't really have as much of last season. Um, you know, so 
certainly someone like uh, Jamal Lewis or Todd Cantwell or Aaron's have, have added a real energy and youth to the team. Plus, you get a lot of buy-in for local players coming into the team, which brings fans on board. But it certainly was precarious after six games, you know, where they'd only won one game. But the run they've gone on since that, you know, I think they've only lost two games since then. Obviously, one of those was to us um, when we came to Carroll Road. But what we found was the kind of style that we wanted to play at Stoke. We couldn't play against Norwich that day. They were too good at doing what they they do. We weren't good enough at doing what we did. But unfortunately, for, for Norwich's perspective, they couldn't find a way past us that day. But since that, they've been on an amazing run of wins and draws. I think it's only Derby they've lost to since, since we came to town. Um, so that's a phenomenal run. And that builds up a real belief, not only within the team, but also within the stands. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, I think fans in the team now believe they can win any game at any point, right up until the last whistle. Um, and that's hard to beat, you know, when you just feel like you're never going to lose. Absolutely. Keith, you mentioned your role in terms of coaching at the FA. We look at, and you've already praised Daniel, but in terms of what Daniel Farker has done and how he's undergone a huge amount of change and then the results he's sort of created this season how are you, how impressed are you with what Daniel Farker has done I think what's impressed me more than anything was the way that he's introduced young players into the team um, and to be fair those players have responded in a really positive manner I think as a manager and a coach um, when you're dealing with first team you need to have a trust in young players and during the time I was at Norwich there were some uh, managing coaches that I worked with that didn't trust players in the sense that they felt they wouldn't be able to sustain the levels of performance um, over a period of time but I think the young players that have come in have done exceptionally well they've brought an energy and an enthusiasm that I think has rubbed on some of the more experienced players and um, that has given them a new lease of life and um, the performances have just, like David said, have been built on. The wins have obviously given them confidence and to be able to go out now and not, with a mindset that they're, they're going to win games. And last year, probably you would say they might have gone out with a mindset of they didn't want to lose games. And that's a different mindset when you go out to play football. Um, and I think that's certainly uh, evident in the performances I've seen this season. Brilliant stuff. Okay, let's get uh, some of your messages, shall we, and rattle through some of these. Um, let's have a read of those. Michael Francis, always tricky getting these, so bear with me. Michael Francis, long-time reader, first-time watcher. Thank you, Michael. Good to see you. Um, <laughs> I can't read the rest of your message, so we'll come back to that in a minute. That's really handy. Uh, Miles Hopkins, evening, guys. Great show. Feels like the weekend is already here. Well, don't forget, it's Friday. Game's Friday. I keep saying it's Saturday. It's Friday night. I'll probably say that tonight. Um, let's see if we can get some other messages here. Facebook not doing me a, much of a service. So here we go. Let's see if we can get that one from Michael. Here we go. Uh, Michael Francis. I was wondering what you guys thought on the least spying controversy. Yep, done that. Cheers, Michael. Great question, obviously, because we came to it first. Uh, and that's the same with Shane as well. See, it was the thing everyone wanted to talk about, so I'm glad I asked about that. Uh, Craig Brown, Kenny, Craig, Craig Brown, Kenny McLean needs to play against Birmingham, play him just behind Pookie. We'll get into the uh, Birmingham game in a wee tad. Let's have a look also on YouTube, shall we, as I work my way through all these things. Lawn Smybert, 
Daniel to Huddersfield and Pookie to Tottenham. Discuss. Wow. Is 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 Timu Pookie off to Tottenham? Harry Kane replacement. Well, yeah. <coughs> very similar players. Very, very similar players, yeah. Um, I, I think that's big boots to fill, even for a team of Puki. You know, he's had a great he's a great season so far with Norwich. It's been a, a real good fit. Maybe wasn't as successful as he would have liked at Celtic. Um, but sometimes players just find a place where they fit in and it just works well for them. Um, whether he, he'll be Tottenham's answer, I don't think so. Right. I'll save you that one, Keith, don't worry. But um, in terms of Daniel Farker to Huddersfield, I mean, David Wagner probably leaving is the, is the more interesting point out of that because I don't think Daniel will be going there necessarily, although he still has a contract to sign, so these things tend to play a role in that. But, uh, I mean, Dan- David Wagner had done a wonderful job, hadn't he, at Huddersfield? He's done an absolutely superb job. and It's interesting when, given the reasons for um, his departure, for someone to be... Um, brave and give that as a reason. Now, some cynics might say, well, he was going to get the sack anyway because of the fact of Huddersfield's precarious position. But, um, you know, I've always found uh, Wagner to be a real, to talk a lot of sense about the game. And um, when he does talk, I think people need to listen to what he says sometimes and um, it's just a shame that the Premiership and the demands made on managers these days has forced a really good coach uh, out of the game for other reasons other than football. Which will be interesting when and where and how he comes back in, of course. Uh, Will F, uh, if you had to answer yes or no right now, would you say we're bringing in a homegrown replacement for Marshall this window? Will I'll answer it? No. But we will see. Uh, David McKenzie, uh, evening gentlemen, real shame it's not worked out for Marshall, was pleased when he signed, as was I. And, and actually, you know, Norwich's recruitment generally has been very good, but I guess there's always some that maybe don't quite work, and it feels like Ben Marshall's one of those. Yeah, I think going back to the point I made earlier, sometimes the, f- the fit doesn't happen or, you know, something else occurs that suddenly blocks that player getting into the team. So while Marshall's not been available, Aaron's has come through. You know, and, and, and that's a real positive because now you've unearthed a young player that you've got in the club who's potentially going to, you know, if he was to be sold, bring in some significant money into the club. Absolutely. Uh, Will F adds, yes, our late goals are down to fitness and team spirit and belief. Speculating about it being some unfair advantage is crazy, Dave. So there you go. Um, Owen Scottenthropso, uh, I went to West Brom. It was my first away game. Brilliant atmosphere and a well-earned point. I think Kenny should start ahead of Campwell on Friday, which is, of course, a recurring theme. Uh, what does everyone think of Giasai Zardes, which I think is the uh, American striker who's been linked? I wouldn't worry too much about it, is what I would say. But there we go. Uh, so keep. Keith knows a lot about him. You know him. a lot about him, Keith? Yeah. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I think Bielsa probably does, but there we go. Uh, so uh, keep your messages coming in. They were all on YouTube and Facebook and uh, Periscope, wherever you're watching. Uh, throw them at us. And of course, uh, if you can think of any and you want to share them, compromising football situations akin to being caught spying, uh, let us know those. Um, those of you who don't so much like Flip the Bird will be delighted to know we're not doing it tonight, especially these two. They are very, effectively, they're cool. Um, so, but the beer mats are lovely and, and, and shiny, so uh, we'll keep those out for next week. But as we've gone to the trouble of getting these two in, we should have a nice uh, spot of QT with them both. Dave, I'll start with you, because as we kind of alluded to, obviously it was... Um, it was of some project at Stoke that you and Gary Rowett and the guys took on. Sadly, that run ended. Was it only this week? Or last oh, no, week, was uh, it? Last Tuesday. Last yeah. Tuesday. Um, 
tough to digest? I mean, I can imagine it's always a horrible thing, but when it happened so early and you've probably still felt like you're getting your feet under the table? Uh, yeah, it was the first time for me, you know, 20 years of, of doing this. Um, obviously, when I left Norwich, that was at the end of the season. And uh, again, there was a mass clear out of the club then. But <clears throat> this was this was a little bit different because of uh, probably the speed that it happened at. You know, we were in place for six months or so. And I think you see it a lot in... Um, teams that come down from the Premier League um, especially if they've come down with a lot of negative momentum it's, it's, it's akin to an oil tanker heading in the wrong direction it takes a lot of energy to get it to stop then to try and turn it around and get it going the other way and I think we, we had started to show some evidence of, of turning it around we had gone on a run of, of 10 games unbeaten, 3 wins on the bounce at home and we hadn't lost in 10 away from home but over Christmas there was a sea change in, um, in really atmosphere um, certainly in the stands um, weren't happy with the style of play or weren't happy with selection of players and it felt a little bit like what I'd heard friends of mine who are fans of, of Norwich saying last year that they were frustrated that they weren't winning games that they believed the team should so, yeah, we put an awful lot of time and effort in. Um, obviously, for a lot of the staff, that's moving away from homes because people tend not to now move into the locality that they, um, that they work in just because it's become so precarious. So um, the, the benefits are I get some time after 20-odd years at home with the family. Whether they'll be happy with that, <laughs> I'm not sure. But I'm sure they will. And um, of course, not made, moved, moved away from Norfolk, which says it all about the area. No, no, 100%. I was told when I arrived here, I think it might have been Keith who told me it was the graveyard of ambition. And I said, that will never happen to me. And here I am, 20 years later, in the Woolpack talking to you. Well, I, don't, I don't think sta staying in one of the most beautiful parts of the world it makes it the graveyard of ambition. It just makes you a sensible decision. That's He's what I from say. Norfolk, so he was he, 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 he was to keep, keep coming back. Yeah. My nanny been, says that as well. It might have been Tim Shepard. I don't know. <laughs> it may not have been Keith. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's great. We're glad, you, we're glad you're around and you'll get that extra time. Um, I don't know how much you want to say. It's obviously an awkward question, but in terms of Nathan going in, Nathan Jones going in from Luton, that surprised me that it was him. I, I almost imagined Stoke going for a, for a bigger name. I, how do you see that job for him? Because obviously he had a tricky result in the FA Cup, of course, but that, that's a big job for him to take on off the back of what he did at Luton when he was given a lot of time. He'd probably need that time at Stoke as well, I guess. Yeah, I think if you're an aspiring manager who's worked their way up in from you know League Two into League One and you've had a decent track record, you're hoping that the merry-go-round doesn't miss you. You know, you get a chance to jump on one of the horses that are on there and and get your go. And he's got his chance now, and he'll have to go in and hopefully, you know, he can build on you know some of the situations that we sorted out while we were there we didn't get a chance to sort everything out because you know you have one transfer window it's hard to have made all the changes that you need you know I think most fans nowadays realize that you need more than one window and well, Stuart Webber said he need, we wanted four at Norwich basically which we've only just got to so. yeah so we, we got all the way through one um, and, <laughs> and even all all of the players that we may have identified and wanted uh, weren't necessarily the ones that 
uh, we would have got or we were waiting for them to become available because you don't always get the picks that you want you know other clubs want the same players so um, they'll, they'll go in they'll, they'll, they'll get their chance at Stoke it's, um, it's certainly a club that um, demands that the, the players give effort you know and uh, hopefully um, he, he'll have a, a decent bounce of the ball indeed as always um, difficult question but what next do you fancy fancy going back into football would you fancy doing something else I've seen you done some photography for us which is, which is, which is good but, and I know you love a bit of drone action and all this sort of well, stuff, yeah, which yeah. could come in handy if you know um. who knows what what, um, what new jobs might become available you know but um, with my droning yeah I'm certainly a, players have told me I've droned on for years yeah. but you know I'll let you make that one. But yeah, um, no, uh, I still think I'm young enough to be out on the pitch putting cones out in straight lines and shouting at people. So um, yeah, certainly is uh, the aspiration is to get back in and hopefully uh, do some more decent work if I've done any yet. I'm sure you have. I love that that's how you describe your job, putting cones out and shouting at people. I think it's like like a traffic warden, I suppose, really, isn't it? But a bit more intricate than that, I'm sure. Um, Keith, so you've touched on your job at the FA, which sounds really interesting. And and given how much change has been at the FA with Gareth obviously coming in and and all that sort of stuff, it must have been quite a... You must have seen quite a bit of change at the FA in in the time you've been there. Well, um... I joined the FA in 2012, the end of 2012, uh, and it was, um, I joined a team of 16, I'm now in a team of 40, which uh, encompasses um, all coach education in grassroots football, Um, and it's something that I really enjoy. Um, I get a lot of inspiration watching young coaches and parents and people who want to get onto the coaching ladder start to fulfil their ambitions and dreams of being good coaches and hopefully the coaches of the future. Um, My job got a lot easier after the World Cup, I must admit. Um, The messages that um, Gareth and the team were sending out back from the World Cup around the so-called England DNA um, was having a really positive effect on numbers attending the courses. People wanted to get to know what it was about. Um, and um, yeah, it's. I didn't realise the impact that the England team would have um, on the nation um, as a whole when you think of how far they got and how close they brought everyone together during a period of time which we've gone through in this country where division has been the um, order of the play. So Gareth has come in, I think he's been an absolute breath of fresh air and I'm not just saying it because he's, I wouldn't say my boss, but is head of the um, teams. Um, But I think he's brought a smile back to support in England. And I think they've reconnected with the supporters, which is the most important thing players and teams can do and it's now okay to support England as well as your team so for some great. <laughs> not, not for the Irish obviously uh, do you miss coaching obviously now helping people to coach but do you miss doing it yourself and I mean like at a senior level um, I don't miss the professional game 
I must admit. Um, I've been out from it now since um, 2006. I've still maintained working in football, to say, on a full-time basis. But working with people who um, want to do well for themselves, and I'm not saying that they're a professional um, footballers who aren't good professionals, but at the latter stages of my time at Norwich, I just felt the um, attitudes of players were just turning a little bit in towards development and how hard it became for managers to um, have a control over players and I think it's gone completely the other way now and it's the players that have control and I think that's just why you see a lot of um, sackings going now you know obviously from Dave's perspective Gary getting um, the bullet um, I think sometimes when you like Dave alluded to when uh, teams come down you get pick up the negative vibes and the negative attitudes that relegation brings and as a manager it must be really difficult to harness that positivity um, when you look at the difference between West Brom and we were talking about this just before we came on here West Brom came down with an era of optimism Darren Moore had sort of almost rekindled beliefs within the um, club and that's obviously had a big impact on why they're doing so well at this moment in time so you know players nowadays I think are totally in control of uh, the situation and for me um, I'm happy where I am at the moment that's all good you did have a prolonged spell in Norwich's youth setup which um, I mean you must be really proud of some of the guys who came through in that setup and went on to have really really good careers when you look at um, you know there are obviously players that spring to mind Chris Sutton Darren Eady Jamie Curtin Keith O'Neill Andy Johnson Craig Bellamy you know, you can keep, but Mr. Norwich at that particular time in that particular era, the club were in a position where they could blood youngsters, and it was the club's philosophy to do that. We now it's almost gone a full circle if you um, look at where we are now and look at the work and the uh, players that are coming through. Um, the situation is very similar. The club have maintained that philosophy, but now through the hard work of the academy and the coaches within the academy, they're producing the players again that are starting to have an impact. And um, you know, long may it continue because you know there's nothing better from a from a person who's worked within the club in, on the development side to see youngsters go on and have a great career within the game. I, I, Norwich have said a lot about this themselves, about how they want to they use their academy to uh, create rounded people and uh, they, they seem to be trying to distill that. And obviously we've had a lot of stories in, in the press recently with some of the tougher side of, of how it's been with youth development in past years. But in terms of the safeguarding and the responsibilities for clubs now, it must be so important that they get that right. Things around the academy regarding safeguarding education has improved in, well, exponentially in the sense that 
it wasn't around during the period that I was um, youth coaches and things like that and the gen general um, philosophy I don't know if you can call it philosophy but the general way was you've got players that want to make a prof uh, professional career in a really tough environment you've got to be really tough with them to get them to be able to withstand the pressures that professional football provided now obviously when you look at some of the things that were done and some of the things that um, were done in trying to get players that resilience people will look at nowadays and says that's bullying that's out of order uh, and I gen normally when I go on my coaching courses now say to coaches there that I'm embarrassed to say what sort of things I did to try and get players toughened up in terms of this resilience that we talk about within the game um, Thankfully, things have changed. Things have changed, um, and there are different ways of doing it. Now, whether that produces the same results, time will tell. Um, some might say that it softened players up and we don't get those sorts of players through now, but um, there are safeguards in place now which you know people are um, aware of, and clubs have a responsibility to make sure that the welfare of their players are looked after to the highest level. Keith, thanks so much for your honesty. That's absolutely brilliant. Okay, let's uh, move it on from there. It's such a pleasure to have you both on, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, we would normally um, delve into the championship. We'll do that in a second. But in the meantime, let's have a quick delve into the Norwich City archives for this week.
Good stuff. Hope everyone enjoyed that, probably apart from Chris Hewton. Uh, Premier League, Chris, Premier League. Uh, so uh, let's have a, as I said, a bit of a confession. We haven't got all our usual assets this week because um, we did kind of run out of time. Uh, and it's not because Norwich have dropped out of the top two, although admittedly it does actually look like that. Uh, I can assure you it's not. Um, blame leads this press conference. So instead, all I will tell you for the record, it's Norwich Birmingham on Friday night. Leeds head to Stoke on Saturday. Is that right? Yes, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry uh, on Saturday uh, with Sheffield United at Swansea in the late kickoff. Uh, Derby host Reading and on Monday West Brom head to Bolton following their warm weather training week in Dubai. So that's exciting. That's on Monday. So I think I've got that all right. Norwich is third. That's absolutely fine. We'll take that for now. Um, how do you see the championship uh, picture at the moment, Dave, in terms of, say, the top end? Yeah, I think most of the teams who you'd expect to be up there at the start of the season are there thereabouts. Um, going on Keith's point, the um, dropping down, it's hard for teams to get back up. I think in the last five years, only one team has, has, has gone back up. So you see Swansea and Stoke in mid-table. After that, you've got Villa in mid-table. So they're kind of three teams you would have expected to be up there. I don't think many people would have expected Norwich to be up and in the mix. Sheffield United have proven last year that they were capable of being the top six side, but they fell away. So there's obviously going to be a spotlight on them. Similar, we were at Derby last year and, you know, starts coming to February time and truth be told, everybody in Derbyshire probably expects Derby to now have a, uh, have a tougher time of it. But... Um, I think in terms of the leads being top, nobody's really surprised in that. It's going to be who can hang on to their coattails. And I think Norwich are well placed. If, <clears throat> if they can get through this next three or four games, it's a really tough run they're in the middle of. If they can get through the next three or four games, then it starts looking reasonably decent for Norwich through to the end of the season. Reasonably decent, we'll take that. In which case, Keith, I'll ask you about Ipswich. Um, they're, sorry. They're, I mean... Ha- Paul is obviously hoping that he'll bring players in 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 this window and that that will reinvigorate them and then maybe they can find three teams that are worse than them between now and the end of the season, I guess. Well, I suppose that is the plan, Um, but whether that works or not will remain to be seen. Um, They're obviously under a lot of pressure, um, but when you get into that rut of losing games, it's a really hard run to get out of. And... um, you know, whilst it would be detrimental to the uh, supporters, I believe, in terms of the fact that you have the derby games at the moment, um, I don't think many Norwich supporters will shed a tear um, if they do get relegated. Um, just picking up on Dave's point around, you know, the top end, I always think that there's going to be somebody who come late from deep in the championship someone who puts a really good run in together um, towards the end of the season and just manages to creep in that playoff spot at the uh, sort of last game or game before. Um, And that's the team I believe you've got to watch. I think Norwich will get the playoff. Um, But for me, I think you've got to just be worried about Aston Villa because I just think that they have got um, something in them that they could put a run together very easily and be that sort of dark horse that come late in the, champ- in the, in the season. That's the best side I've seen Norwich player probably alongside um, Leeds and West Brom. So there we go. Uh, so uh, it is Birmingham on Friday night, just to reiterate, Friday night kickoff. It's live on Sky Sports, but you can also follow 
full live second screen coverage over at pinken.com, which of course you should obviously do. Uh, here's my colleague Dave Freezer on his predicted 11 and what Norwich are likely to come up against. Norwich City are preparing for championship battle under the floodlights at Carrow Road on Friday night. Televised clash against Birmingham City, who are chasing the playoff places. And here is the team that I would be choosing if I was Daniel Farker. Um, we're talking ahead of Thursday's press conference, of course. So um, this is uh, ahead of injury news. But uh, in goal, of course, Tim Krull, so good at West Brom and at Brentford the game before that. He's been crucial recently. Max Ahrens and Jamal Lewis all being well. Stick with them at fullback. And I think hopefully, as long as Tim Close's runner's knee, as he's put it on Instagram, is OK, him and Zimmerman reunited. That's been the, the core of the defence which has been so successful so far this season. All being well, get them back together. Likewise, I'd, I'd stick with the experience of Alex Tetti and Mario Vrancic in the central midfield roles. Would like to see Ben Godfrey get a chance in midfield, but maybe this isn't quite the game, uh, quite the game for that opportunity. Emi Buendia hopefully shook off a bit of rust in the 1-1 draw at West Brom at the weekend. Didn't look himself, but of course he's coming back from injury, so I'd stick with him. Fingers crossed, Marco Stevenman's back. He's proved to be a really, really important player this year. Gets the best out of Timu Pukki. So, fingers crossed he's back from his injury and can start in the number 10 role. Onel Hernandez continues um, on the left wing for me. Scored both goals on the opening day. You, you may well remember, 2-2 draw. Norwich had to fight back twice in that game. Injury time equaliser from uh, Onel Hernandez. So, stick with him. And, of course, Timo Pukki up front. Moving on to Birmingham then, they are eighth in the table ahead of kickoff, uh, four points adrift of the top six. They lost 2-1 at home to Middlesbrough last weekend, so they uh, are looking to get back on track. Previously, before that, they'd only lost one of eight games, so they've been doing very well under Gary Monk, and the whole season has been clouded by financial issues, which have uh, put uh, them under a transfer embargo. They haven't been able to too, do too much in terms of transfers, so they've had a fairly tight-knit squad. Um, this is their, their previous 11 We'll uh, find out in the team news whether there's uh, any more uh, change to that. But we've seen Yotta can be a, a dangerous player for Brentford in the past. And uh, Lucas Jukovic and Che Adams both having good seasons up front as well. I'll come on to Jukovic in just a minute. Um, but he's part of these stats. In terms of their strengths, aerially, they are very good. They average 34 aerial wins per game. That's the most in the division by quite a way. So in terms of the aerial battle, that's something that Norwich are really going to have to stand up to on Friday night. And no surprise, that flows into set pieces. They've scored 11 goals from set pieces. Only three teams have scored more than them so far this season. In terms of weaknesses, completely the opposite to Norwich almost. In terms of possession, they average only 43%, and that's the lowest in the division. Norwich, of course, among the best possession in the division. And that has a knock-on effect. Past completion, they average only 61%, which again is the lowest in the division. So you can see that you've got almost two polar opposites set up for this game. And then key player, Lukas Jukovic, has had a probably the season of his life, life so far. Started all 27 league games for the Blues. Scored 10 goals, 9 assists. And you may well know the statistics website, whoscored.com. Uh, we use them for, for a lot of their stats. Very good website. They average him as the highest... Uh, performing player so far this season, averaging 7.87 out of 10 per game. So not bad at all. And as I mentioned earlier, his aerial presence is a massive part of how they play. He averages 12.5 aerial wins per game, which is by far the most of any player in the division. So he's a player that Norwich are going to have to dominate on Friday night.
Uh, it's cracking stuff there from Dave and from Tony. Brilliant, um, brilliant little look at, ahead of the game. And Dave, you were nodding in agreement plenty of times. Of course, Birmingham, one of your former clubs, so you'll know some of those players. Yeah, no, fair amount of them, and certainly the uh, the front two of Lukas Jukovic and, and Shea Adams are going to be a proper handful for Norwich. Uh, they're both very, very physical powerful um, and I'd certainly have concerns if you're going to be playing some of the some of the younger members of the uh, of the Norwich team and they, they may get a little bit of a, uh, a tough time physically um, how Birmingham play they're set up to counter-attack you they're set up to pounce on mistakes so if Norwich can manage to keep mistakes to a minimum um, they should be able to hold Birmingham at bay However, they're an extremely resilient team. We've known we we lost twice to them this season. We being Stoke. Well, it was still all right, Dave. It's all right. Um, and again, they're another team that stays into the game, deep into into the game. They'll they'll keep pushing. So. Um, similar to when we came to Carroll Road, you'd expect Norwich to have an awful lot of the ball, <clears throat> but if they make mistakes, they've got to be ready to deal with the, the, the severe counter-attack that, that Birmingham will offer. And the, it's not that they don't have good footballers as well, because in, in uh, either of the Gardner brothers, or in, in Hotta, or in Jack Magoma, they've got, they've got talent. Um, so they're not just set up to just be a counter-attacking team. They can, they can also create decent goals. And I mean, with the context of the opening day of the season where, of course, Norwich drew 2-2, they were behind twice, so we saw a bit of Norwich's late uh, instinct. But that point, has, the context shows how good a point it was because Birmingham have done really well. And I think fair play to Gary Monk because I've, I've been a bit doubtful of some of the work he's done at other clubs, but he, the way he's adapted what he wanted to do to fit what he's got, I find really, really impressive at Birmingham. Well, any team that sort of sets up to play against uh, a play a counter-attacking system is always difficult. Uh, they can l- lull you into a false sense of security. Uh, and obviously Dave has worked with some of the players at Birmingham and he has a better insight uh, to them than what I do. But I think sometimes in the performances that I've seen from Norwich is that that can happen sometimes, is that they'll be on top, they won't score, and then all of a sudden... Um, a lack of concentration, a misplaced pass can easily um, result in going a goal down. Uh, and obviously, um, then you're chasing the game, which then leaves you further exposed. So, I would no doubt that Gary has obviously uh, looked at the players that he's got, picked a formula that he thinks will work for the players that he's got around him. So, I would expect a really tough game on Friday night. <laughs> It certainly will be. Shall I get a prediction out of you both, just while you're here? I'm going to go for a repeat of the season opener. 2-2. Uh, yeah, Desmond. See I've seen enough of them this season with Stoltz. So. <laughs> I'm going for a Norwich 2-1 win. Uh, thanks, Keith. We appreciate it. And you know what? That is it from this week's Pink and Show. Uh, remember, you can catch all of tonight's edition and all our superb Norwich City content uh, on all our platforms, including the Pink and app. Make sure you download that. But first and foremost, pinkin.com. I'll be at Carrow Road on Friday night alongside Paddy Davitt and Dave Freezer, of course. So make sure you keep tabs on all our feeds for our big build-up. 
team news, um, live and behind the scenes coverage, reaction and analysis. And if you see us around, especially Tony as well, shooting any videos, make sure you say hello, stop for a chat. Remember, Friday night, 7.45 p.m. kickoff. Uh, we will return next Wednesday once again at 6 p.m. live here at the Woolpack, I believe. Uh, on Golden, Golden Ball Street in the centre of Norwich uh, with the usual fun and games. So uh, please join us, whether it's here in the flesh or online. In the meantime, a big thank you to our guests tonight, to Keith and to Dave. Gents, thank you so much. It was such a privilege to have you both on and being so honest and talking to us. You enjoy it? All good? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah great seeing Keith again. I haven't seen him in a while and he still owes me a coffee from the last time. No, he... That's funny how I keep owing a lot of people coffees in the welcome. So I think we owe you a drink after this, I think, to be honest. Next time you come on, we'll do Flip the Bird, just so you're aware. You won't get away with it again. Uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, what top chance. Uh, a big thanks to the Wallpack, of course, for putting us up and not checking us out. Uh, to the crew, which is to Dan and Tony. Thank you, gents. Top work, as always. Uh, and, of course, to you guys uh, for watching, getting involved, and being patient with the lack of assets this week. Uh, we will see you again next, next week. Until then, here's to City dishing out more blues and without the need of spies with pliers and a change of clothes. Good night. <laughs>